Do you ever feel like there's no great purpose to your life except maybe to pay bills? Do you think, wow, he's so fortunate. He's got this great job and he's got a wife and kids and everything looks so great. There are so many times I feel I am accomplishing absolutely nothing. There's so many times if I had wings of a dove, I would fly away, David said. And then I have to go into the secret place. I have to get with God. And he'll say to me, it doesn't matter if your synagogue is growing or not. And you know, I don't even have membership. People say, you need membership because why? Well, do you want to be a member? I'll fill something out for you. You could show it to all your friends. You are a member of the kingdom of heaven. That's your membership. I don't own you. Yeshua owns you. You were bought with a price. So many people are in that. They're like imprisoned in their house of worship. They're prisoners and they it's like a cult. If they leave, they feel like they're doing something wrong. Listen, you're owned by God. Nobody owns you. Be a slave to Messiah. Listen to Greg Hirschberg and some of the world's greatest teachers today on Solace Radio, the congregation without walls. It's a bad world out there. So take solace in the word on Solace Radio. welcome you to this uh, <clears throat> this teaching that we've entitled Trick or Treat, uh, The Wicked Truth About All Hallows' Eve. And, and so we're, we're going to be discussing Halloween from a biblical point of view, from a believer's point of view. We're going to um, get into some things that you may or may not know about Halloween um, and where it came from, where it really came from. I remember years ago, my wife and I were serving as youth and music ministers in a, in a church, small church in Fort Myers, Florida. And uh, there was a, a big row over the fact that there were there were there were some people who uh, in, in involved with churches there who were raising the issue of certain things being allowed to happen at school uh, during Halloween. And the reason they were bringing the issue up is because uh, there was such a big um, uh, big issue <clears throat> over you know certain things dealing with religious themes around Christmas and other times. Uh, but anyway, I remember <clears throat> that I got a phone call from one of the local news uh, news stations asking me uh, would I like to make comments about Halloween. Uh, and quite frankly, you know, it dawned on me I, I really didn't know a lot about Halloween, where it come from, and all I associated it with was. Um, you know, things that were considered spooky, demonic, satanic, etc., etc. So it just, it kind of piqued my interest and I, I just wanted to understand where, where Halloween really come from. And quite frankly, I was kind of surprised. Um, <clears throat> some things I was not surprised about, but there were many things that I, I was surprised about. And so anyway, through the years, there have been, you know, many people who've approached me and, and I'm sure others as well about, uh, Halloween, you know, is it evil? Is it wicked? Uh, is it something that Christians need to, to observe or, you know, do we need to deprive our kids of going out trick or treating, et cetera, et cetera. And so there have been many questions. And 
you know, I know that there are some um, who feel, and I have friends that feel this way, that, you know, Halloween um, is, is just about fantasy. It's just about imagination. You know, basically all it is is kids want to go out and get some free candy. And, and yeah, you know, that is true. However, um, imaginations... Uh, fantasies can lead to realities. You know, if you can imagine it, you can eventually do it. If you can fantasize about it long enough, you can eventually do it. This is what happened in Genesis chapter 11 with the Tower of Babel. Uh, they, um, you know, in fact, the Lord said in one point, you know, there's nothing restrained from them that they have imagined to do. So there is a danger, there is a potential danger, I'll put it that way, in imaginations. You know, the Harry Potter craze, the books, the movies, etc. Um, there are many people who don't feel that there's anything wrong with their, their children reading Harry Potter, going to see the movie Harry, Harry Potter, because it's all it is is it's fantasy, it's imagination. Once again, um, imaginations, fantasies in and of themselves perhaps are not evil, uh, depending on what you're imagining or fantasizing about, of course, but uh, it does open the door to reality. Because if you can fantasize or imagine yourself a witch, as in the case of Harry Potter, and uh, you grew up thinking it's, you know, desirable, you know, think, would it be, wouldn't it be cool to be able to do all these things? Then eventually these children <clears throat> can make these child, uh, childhood dreams and fantasies and imaginations come to reality as an adult. And, and quite frankly, the scripture says in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what uh, what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. In other words, there's going to be a lot of things that the world is going to offer us and say, you know, there's nothing wrong with this, there's nothing wicked about it, etc., etc. And, you know, in some cases, maybe maybe it's absolutely correct. However, we have strict... Orders, if you want to put it that way, <clears throat> not to be conformed to this world, not to accept the world's standards as ours, but we're to be renewed. Our, our minds must be renewed so that we will know what is God's perfect will and, and to walk in that perfect will. And that's what we need to discover. And so in the case of Halloween, trick-or-treating, etc., first of all, we need to understand what Halloween is and what Halloween is it, you know, and and because there's a lot of uh, <clears throat> there's a lot of myths uh, about Halloween on both sides of the issue, those who are for it and those who are against it, uh, you know, and, and as of, as we often do, we uh, when we want to make an argument, and we want to advance our argument. Sometimes we will allow certain things to enter into the to the debate or the issues that aren't really true. They're more, more based on myth. And so what we're going to try to do today in this teaching, we're going to discuss facts, not myths, because, uh, you know, we don't we don't want to be guilty of, you know, reporting something to you that is just absolutely not true. At the same time, we don't want to leave anything out that uh, that, you know, is true. So we're going to we're going to deal with facts, not myths, for instance. You know, witches don't really wear black hats, you know, black pointy hats and, and ride around through the night sky on brooms. That's, you know, that's a myth. Um, but yet, you know, the, this is something we typically associate with Halloween. However, although they don't fly through the night, you know, on a broom, there are really self-professed witches 
uh, Wiccans, as, you know, the, what these people are called, Wiccans and pagans who practice their beliefs today and who consider October 31st very sacred to their religion. Now, <clears throat> something else that, you know, uh, that we associate with Halloween, you know, is bats. You know, bats are evil, they're spooky, and all this kind of stuff. When the reality is that bats are actually tend to be timid creatures. You know, <clears throat> they primarily live in trees or they roost in dark places. And, you know, of course, we associate these dark places with sp- being spooky. And, and, you know, it's true that bats, you know, typically only come out at night. But it's usually when people are asleep. So, you know, there's, you know, we watch, uh, you know, when we were children growing up, we watched Scooby-Doo, you know, and the first thing <laughs> that uh, is introduced to you when Scooby-Doo's coming on is bats flying out of this house, you know, and so bats have been considered spooky, but they're not really. There are vampire bats, um, <clears throat> and these vampire bats do, uh, in fact, feed on the blood of other animals. Uh, but it's mainly cattle and livestock. Uh, you know, there have been cases where they bat, they have bitten human beings, but those those kinds of things are very rare because when bats are typically very timid creatures. <clears throat> Another myth uh, and superstition associated not only with Halloween but just in general, but you see more of them in Halloween. And that's black cats. There's a myth. There's myths about black cats. You know, the, you avoid black cats because of, they're considered to, to be bad luck. And actually, that has religious origins uh, in, in Christianity. And because in in the Middle Ages, it was believed that witches could turn themselves into black cats. And then when you see um, this black cat. It was really considered to be a witch in disguise. And of course, this is ridiculous, you know. But this this idea, this myth, started with uh, Christians in the Middle Ages. However, on the flip side of that is we know that cats, although there's, you know, cats are not inherently evil. Cats are you know, just animals. Uh, but cats have been venerated in in past pagan societies, and according to some reports, depends on who you read, uh, cats are still, uh, to some pagan uh, religions, are still considered very, uh, very sacred. So the cats do have uh, some association, or, you know, some cats have do, uh, some association with some pagan uh, beliefs. However, you know, cats are not evil. Now, <clears throat> what we want to try to do is prove all things and hold fast that which is good, according to First Thessalonians chapter five, verse twenty-one. In other words, we don't want to get into myths and and superstitions. We want to deal with facts. We want to prove all things, and then you know, hold fast, as the Scripture says, to that which is good. So, <clears throat> the point of this teaching is is not intended to brand Halloween as satanic as such. But it is to show the pagan origins of Halloween and to show how that a lot of the Halloween traditions come from the Catholic Church or originated with the Catholic Church. And in fact, Halloween is is a hybrid holiday, if you will. It's part Christian. And I say Christian in the sense not in... in uh, in the sense of being, you know, conforming to Scripture, but Christian in the sense, 
in a secular way. And, and I don't know any other way to put it. Hope you'll hopefully understand that. And then it's also part pagan in its origins. Now, the public generally sees Halloween as a very harmless children's celebration. But, you know, is it really? Is, is it really just a harmless little thing where kids get to fantasize and imagine themselves as fairies or, you know, superheroes and just go around getting candy? Is there more to it? <clears throat> Presently, it may seem that way because when you think of Halloween, you think of children. But, as we're going to discover, you know, Halloween didn't start out as a children's holiday. Uh, it, it, it was not a children's holiday, but in fact it was made a children's holiday because of some of the pranks and problems uh, and chaos associated with the holiday. Now, <clears throat> I want to read a scripture from Second Corinthians eleven fourteen. It says, And no marvel, for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Now, what we want to point out with the scripture is, you know, that Again, many people consider Christians and non-Christians alike consider Halloween to be a very just a very innocent time for kids to go have a good time and you know collect candy. You know they they don't see anything. There's nothing satanic about going and trick or treating. There's nothing satanic and demonic about uh, you know yelling trick or treat. And you know on the surface they're absolutely right, but we need to keep in mind that you know. By and large, you know, our adversary is not going to try to um, confront us openly, you know, blatantly. He is going to try to do things very subtly, you know. The serpent in the garden was the, the most subtle of all the beasts. Um, it's very subtle, very uh, seductive, and that's the way the enemy works. And I believe that that is the case when it comes to, to Halloween. It's very seductive. It's very subtle, at least in the way that it's it's observed today. Um, but you know what? It it really doesn't matter what our opinion is. You know, we may see something as innocent. We may see something as harmful. What really matters is what does the Bible say? And when we engage in any kind of activity, how does it, you know, is it in parity? Is it in accordance with Scripture? Now, I want to read another uh, passage of Scripture in Deuteronomy 18, uh, verses 9 through 12. The Lord says, When you come into the land which the Lord your God is giving you, you shall not learn to follow the abominations of the nations. There shall not be found any uh, shall not be found among you anyone who makes his son or his daughter pass through the fire, or one who practices witchcraft, or a soothsayer or one who interprets omens, or a sorcerer, or one who conjures spells, or a medium, or a spiritist, or one who calls up the dead. For all who do these things are an abomination to the Lord. And because of these abominations, the Lord your God drives them out from before you. So there are several things that we could point out in the scripture, but basically what it's saying is, is expect to encounter when he's speaking to Israel as they're going to possess the land, their their inheritance, expect, expect to encounter people who practice these different things and who are going to try to convince you that there's nothing wrong with it. Um, and we know throughout Israel's history, they, time after time, they were seduced into some of these things. But God specifically you know, says, do not do these things. These things are abominable. And it's because these people do these things that I'm going to drive about before you. 
Now let's let's face it. When we think of Halloween, what do we think of? We think of spooky stuff. You know, we think of things with the you know the the dark side, so to speak, the black arts, witch witches, you know, witchcraft, ghosts, um, you know, creatures that have returned from the dead, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Everything is 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 about Halloween. Uh, focuses on that element, and that very thing is according to scripture, has been forbidden uh, for those who call the Lord of, of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob their Lord. And so, you know, if we stopped right here, in my opinion, that would be enough to say, you know, anything that is associated with death, uh, witchcraft, etc., is something that, you know, God is not going to be uh, pleased with. The history of Halloween, as you're going to see, uh, dates back before Christianity, and it has always involved death, evil spirits, soothsaying, witchcraft, and fears of all sorts. That's what this uh, this day has been throughout history, uh, at least you know in pagan in certain pagan societies, not all pagan societies, and therefore the roots of Halloween, the roots of Halloween, what we call Halloween today. The roots of it are ba- buried in pagan soil. And so, you know, how uh, the old saying goes, you know, the acorn doesn't ever fall very far from the tree. And and what my point is, is if the roots of this time that we now call Halloween uh, and the customs that are associated with Halloween in the modern era... Uh, it may not be exactly what uh, the way it started out, perhaps, but yet the roots of this, this, these celebrations, the roots of this, these practices associated with it, all come from paganism and uh, from from quote unquote Christianity, but a Christianity that disregarded what the Old Testament had to say. Now, let's look at the origins of Halloween, what we call Halloween. It wasn't called that, uh, you know, uh, originally. Originally, uh, it was called uh, Samhain. Samhain, at least it was called this in uh, uh, Great Britain and uh, what what we now call, you know, England, Wales, that area. But it was called Samhain. Now, early mankind, and this was throughout the globe, early mankind basically had two sources of food. You farmed, you you know, you plowed the earth to get the earth to grow things, and you raised livestock. On the 1st of May, you know, which was springtime, on the 1st of May, the livestock were driven out into the field. You know, to begin to graze, you know, live outdoors, you know, live out in the field and eat the grass, etc. But through the spring, through the summer, the fall, and now beginning to go into winter, you brought them back into the barn. And so on November 1st, you brought them back into the barn for the winter. So because, you know, the time when everything's going to die is coming. So you have two seasons. You have a growing season and you have winter. The growing season represents life. The the winter represents death. And in uh, pagan societies, this was called Beltane, and I'm probably not pronouncing that correctly, um, but it, that's the way it's spelled, B-E-L-T-A-N-E. Beltane is how we'll pronounce it until someone can uh, tell me what it, how it's really supposed to be pronounced. And that represented the growing season, the life. And then the, the second season is Samhain. 
Samhain, and this represented death. And Samhain was November 1st. And this was the beginning of this season of death when all the plants died. Plants died. Now, uh, Samhain, um, is, it literally means the end of summer. Now, there's been a lot of people who've reported that Samhain was the name of the Lord of the Dead. You know, the, the, the Celtic Lord of the Dead. And from everything that I've studied, that is just simply not accurate. But Samhain actually means the end of summer. But this was a time, according to some sources, that uh, the the night preceding this this day called Samhain, the end of summer, it was the night to honor the Lord of the Dead because uh, this was marking, you know, this this crossing over from t- this growing season, summer life, going into the season of death when everything was going to die. Now, in Ireland which a lot of the Halloween customs that we have, I would say the majority of them, come from uh, from Ireland, and that's just my opinion. Um, but in Ireland, the festival was, was known as Samhain, or La, La Simone, and I'm, I'm sure I'm not saying that correctly, but or, or the Feast of the Sun. Because throughout pagan society, the sun has been venerated, and uh, I would dare say that in most pagan societies, the sun is considered to be the chief god or chief deity. And in the British Isles and in Ireland, uh, obviously it was no different. Now, there was a belief associated with Samhain that the spirits of those who had died during that year, they also gathered that night. They, They gathered together that night. And so to commemorate this and to acknowledge this belief, food was set out as an offering of respect for the dead who were thought to be returning home that night. In other words, they thought that these people who had died the previous year, on that particular night, that their spirits were going to try to return home. And so these people would set out food as an offering of respect. But now when these these spirits returned home, they needed help to cross over into the land of the dead. And so relatives would hollow out turnips, they would hollow out gourds to use them, they would put lights in them, they would put a coal from fire, and they would use these uh, as as lights to guide the spirits, you know, to to help them uh, find their way. Uh, Bonfires were also lit to guide the way of the spirits because it was believed that on this night, um, the earthly and the spiritual mingled. There was a thin veil that separated the two, and the spirits could go in and out. <clears throat> so now, um, since the night of October 31, uh, was it was believed that this veil was so thin, and and when the spirits, you know, mingled with the supernatural, uh, mingled with the the temporal, the earthly. It was believed that October 31st didn't belong either to one year or the other. It was unique. And the Celtic folk that lived in the British Isles <clears throat> believed that because of this, because it didn't belong to either, you know, the previous year or the coming year, it was kind of, you know, standing on its own, so to speak. The Celtic folk believed that chaos reigned. And, and so to acknowledge this belief, People would engage in horseplay. They would, you know, they would carry out practical jokes because it was a night of chaos, chaos, disorder, confusion. Of course, we know that our God is not the author of confusion. When chaos was upon the face of the deep, 
what did he do? He began to speak and to bring order and to bring life. You know, God is not the God of the dead, but of the living. But this is this this Celtic belief is that the night October 31st was a, a night when chaos reigned. Now, when they would carry when they, when they were carrying out this horseplay, playing all these practical jokes, um, many people would go from house to house begging for treats, and with failure to supply a treat, resulting perhaps in a practical joke. Uh, this this horseplay was considered to be a final outlet, you know, kind of let your hair down, so to speak, before the gloom of winter set in. And uh, this, as these people supposedly carried out these uh, practical jokes and pranks, in other words, um, this is probably how the legend of fairies came about. Because uh, the the Celtic people talked about the fairies who lived in, you know, the woods and everything. And of course, the fairies weren't were not considered to be evil spirits, but they weren't considered good, and they they were to be feared. Um, and the belief was that these fairies would disguise themselves as beggars and go around asking for handouts. And, and, and particularly on this night called Samhain, October 31st. Of course, um, more than likely it was just people, you know, doing these kinds of things and fairies got the blame for it because, you know, ancient societies were always very, very superstitious. But anyway, that's, that's probably how the idea of fairies come about. But now the belief was that it wasn't just good spirits who were on the loose. It wasn't just good spirits who were gathering that night, but there were also evil spirits who were roaming the earth on this particular night because the veil between the, the spiritual world and the temporal world was very thin, and these two uh, merged on this particular night. And now, <clears throat> in some traditions, it is said that these evil spirits would roam looking for bodies to possess. And so you certainly, if you were living in those days and believed this way, you didn't want to get possessed. So you took uh, action to make sure that that didn't happen. And also you wanted to take action to make sure that your the spirit of your departed loved one is not, uh, you know, is not going to fall victim to these evil spirits. So what did you do to protect your relative spirit, uh, to play it safe for yourself? You'd, you'd paint a face on a gourd to chase the evil spirits away, or you'd also, in addition, you would, you might disguise yourself by painting your face with, you know, with hideous looking paints and, and, and you would don a wild costume. And so the belief was is that you're going to chase these evil spirits away. You don't want them possessing your body and you don't want them fooling with the, the spirit of your departed loved one. So this is what you might do. So once again, October 31st, according to Celtic belief, was when uh, and and not only Celtics, but um, many pagan, you know, beliefs. October thirty-one was when the human and the spirit world were said to merge. So you can see that originally October thirty-first was certainly not a children's holiday. It was a holiday associated with death, evil spirits, uh, disembodied spirits, superstitions, um, etc. <clears throat> now, Samhain, October 31st, was also a significant time for divination, perhaps even more so than May 1st or May Day, you know, when they would dance around the Maypole. Uh, it was probably the most significant time for divination 
because Samhain was the chief of the so-called three spirit nights. And, uh, of course, I want to remind you that the Bible, we just read it in Deuteronomy 18, absolutely um, forbids divination. This is something that God has, has said, you know, you, if, you are, if you are my people, you will not indulge in this. Now, in Scotland, a child who was born at Samhain, or October 31st, was said to be gifted with the two sights, commonly known as second sight or clairvoyance. And so there is a definite association with October 31st and divination, uh, trying to forecast the future, you know, with reading the entrails of an animal or tea leaves, etc. These things that the scripture forbids. Now, we want to talk about the, the Celts in a little little bit more detail and who were these people and, and a, another group of people within the Celt, uh, the Celtic folk, and that is the Druids. Uh, it is believed that the observance of Samhain originated from this race of people called Celts. And these people lived in Europe, um, you know, from the north of the Alps uh, to the Baltic Sea. And they lived in this area from about 1000 BC up to about 450 AD. And the Celts uh, were pantheistic people. They, they, they worshipped many gods. Most of these gods existed in nature, and again, with the sun god as the primary deity. Now, in Ireland, these people, these Celts, were known as the Gaels, and they, uh, they definitely celebrated Samhain, uh, or it's, uh, in one uh, reference I have, it's called Shavin, Shavin, but it's the same day, October 31st. And again, this was celebrating the new year. Now, in uh, apparently in Ireland, this uh, Samhain, this you know, this year going into the the dead of winter, uh, would be celebrated with a week long festival called Fesh, and one and one source I have, or it might be called Taman or Taman. But at any rate, it believes it was believed that if you celebrated this festival, if you celebrated this time, that the next spring, the coming year, it would help your crops. And so there would be great uh, celebrations, there would be feasting, there would be games of skill, etc. And then there would be a group of local priests called Druids who would meet, and these people would meet in the oak forest because oak trees were considered sacred. Uh, I might point out the Bible has uh, something to say about those uh, societies in ancient Israel who would uh, go to the tops of mountains and that they would worship the groves or the trees. They would carve uh, these images out of the trees and out of the wood. But at any rate, the Druids would meet in these oak forests and they would light fires around, around which they would dance. And they believed that they could divine events of the coming year. And so once again, we see this connection to divination. And so they would be dancing and uh, forecasting the future, etc. Now we were talking about these these uh, this, these priests, these Celtic priests called druids, who would uh, kindle these bonfires on hilltops and in forests during this time of called Samhain, and and um, the people, uh, the, the Celtic people, on October thirty first, because as we they believed that evil spirits were roaming the earth at night. And of course, we talked about how they wanted to, to chase away the evil spirits, you know, to protect themselves and uh, 
according to their beliefs, the, the spirits of their departed loved ones. Another thing they would do is they would extinguish the hearth fires. They didn't want there to be, you know, a blazing fire going on that would be considered attractive to these evil spirits that were roaming the earth. And so they would, they would extinguish their hearth fires. But the next day, their fires would be relit. And the source of this fire would be the, the, uh, the central bonfire that had been kindled by these druids, the same bonfire that they would dance around, that they would, uh, uh, gaze into and try to divine the future. The Scots believe that you, you could tell the future. You could force, forecast the future by looking into these fires. And then, you know, in association with all this, people would, would parade around in costumes made from the skins and the heads of the animals that had been sacrificed during this time. Uh, now, we do know that uh, although it was very rare, I should point this out, uh, it was very rare, but the, the Celts did practice some human sacrifice, as did other pagan civilizations at one point or another. But there's not overwhelming evidence of widespread human sacrifice, although there is some evidence of some. And, of course, it only takes one. You know, It only takes one time for it to be wrong. Uh, but the point is, is that we do know that at least in some cases, this this pagan society would be driven to sacrifice a human being because of their belief system. Now, <clears throat> these these Druids, you know, and the Celts, what I want to point out here is, at this point, is that they had many gods. Of course, the Bible says, you know, you're, you're to have no other gods before me. Um, they worshipped nature. They didn't worship the creator of nature. And so... Really, what that is signaling to me or signifies for me is that when you worship nature, when you know, because as many pagan societies do today, they're the Wiccan religion basically are, are nature worshipers. But when you worship nature, you are really saying, you're really calling into question who is the creator. They are denying that the God of the Bible is the creator. And so, you know, this is this is wrong when, of course, they would they would go up to these hilltops and, you know, and create these bonfires and try to divine the future. And uh, the Bible speaks out against groves and they were placed upon the high places. The Bible condemns divination. So these people uh, who it is believed um, really introduced to the world, if you will. This uh, this celebration of Samhain or October 31st, um, the very roots of it go against things that the scripture, you know, outlaws. It says that actually says is abominable. Um, and so God, if we could say it this way, God would consider this Celtic Celtic society, at least in the religious practice practices, would consider it abominable, you know, would be in defiance and in rebellion of his word and his will. So that is the root of October 31. And as far as these um, traditions that have been attached to and associated with October 31st. Now, but we can't just blame the Celts and the Druids <clears throat> for the, um, the different practices and traditions associated with October 31st. We have to also blame a faction, a section of Christianity. And, uh, and here's how the story goes. In the first century, the Roman Empire conquered the Celts, or at least a 
a vast land area in which these Celts lived. And so what you found is that um, in the first century and beyond, that there were Celts and Romans living in the same villages. And of course, we know that the Romans were uh, pagan um a pagan society who were pantheistic. They had many, many gods. And so the result is that the Celtic festival of Samhain was uh, celebrated at the same time as the festival of Pomona. Pomona was a Roman goddess of the orchards and of the harvest. So first of all, I want to, I want you to see that independent of one another, the, the Celts had been celebrating Samhain on October 31st, November 1st, and then the Romans had been celebrating the festival of Pomona, uh, you know, at this same time of year. Now, Pomona had a symbol, and that symbol was the apple. You know, apples, if you recall, uh, there's a little practice, a little tradition associated with apples, uh, and we do this when? Usually at Halloween. Now, at this same time of year, the Romans had a festival called Thuralia. I think, I hope I'm saying that correctly. Thuralia. And this festival was held in late October to honor the dead. What was Samhain about as far as the, the Celts were concerned? It was about the dead. It was about the belief that the dead, the dead spirits were assembling on that particular night. So it's just very, very interesting to me that these two cultures, independent of one another, had festivals that were basically the same themes and occurred at the same time. How did that happen? Coincidence? I don't think so. Now, as these two cultures lived together, their their cultures obviously begin to merge. And the day was marked by traditions, and the day being October 31st, was marked by traditions of both pagan cultures. Now, as, as time goes by, of course, we have the dissolution uh, of the uh, Roman Empire, and then we have the advent of the uh, Roman Catholic Church. And over the next five centuries, the, the Catholic Church grew in power until uh, under, pro, uh, pro, under Pope Gregory, um, the Roman Catholic Church had converted most of Europe and the British Isles to Christianity. And as these Christian scribes moved into these conquered territories, they wrote down the different uh, local and regional folklore. And, uh, you know, the Celtic folklore, or folklore was no exception. Many of these Christian scribes wrote down what these people believed. Now, I should point out here that there are some who suggest that what these scribes wrote down was certainly tainted. Their perspective was tainted, and, and they perhaps exaggerated things. Um, there's no way that we can prove that one way or the other. All we have is what they wrote. And so not, nobody living today was there uh, to disprove or prove that they what they said was correct. But I felt that in fairness I should bring that point out. But at any rate, as these Christian scribes would write down this Celtic folklore, it would get back to Rome, and it would get back to the Pope. And so finally, Pope Gregory's successor, uh, Pope Boniface, I don't know how you say that, Pope Boniface IV, uh, wanted to eliminate pagan ceremonies. And so he, he felt that if the old, these old pagan festivals were still intact, the church's, the church's control wasn't complete. Now I want to emphasize something here. 
it wasn't so much, at least what we what we read from history, it wasn't so much that the Pope was concerned about that these people were doing things that were considered abominable, according to Scripture, but it was more uh, due to the fact that they were trying to solidify the church's power over the people. And I think that's a very, very important point. Now, but this Pope realized that if he just tried to do away with everything at one time, it was gonna, there was gonna be an uprising. So what he did in, in, in an attempt to, to prevent an uprising, he decided that he would pl- replace the old festival, but he would give, uh, the new, give people a new festival to celebrate. So, he decided that instead of honoring evil spirits and the souls of the dead, that hallowed ones should be honored. Hallowed, or hallow means sacred. And so these sacred ones should be honored. And so what happened was the church created All Saints Day, but it was also called All Hallows Day. And as this, as I said, this was a holy day to honor all of the hallowed but dead saints. I want to emphasize that. Dead saints. But they were called, uh, hallowed. Now, the problem with All Saints Day, at least from the pagan perspective, was that although it was a holy day, it was not a festival. And Samhain, October 31st, was considered to be a festival. And so what happened was that the people simply celebrated both days. They would celebrate uh, All Saints Day, or also known as All Hallows Day, but they would also continue to celebrate Samhain. And so they didn't see any conflict in this. Now, I, I want to point out something here for those who may have a background in the Roman Catholic Church or, you know, other, uh, uh, other branches of Christianity that still acknowledge, still celebrate, uh, All Saints Day or All Hallows Day. Um, yes, it is honoring saints, saints that, you know, that the church is, is determined to be saints. Um, but it's still, Honoring the dead is still a day about the dead. It's not, it's not about life. It's about the dead. And I believe the Bible is, is, you know, is, is saying that these things we should not do. It, it's, it's one thing to always remember your loved one. You're never going to forget your loved one. Uh, but in my opinion, it, it is human nature to almost get into, you know, ancestor worship. A veneration of the dead. And we, you know, we are not to do that. You know, God is, and the scriptures definitely speaks out against that. Now, anyway, let's get back on the subject here. 200 years passed and the church had still not succeeded in getting rid of Samhain. In other words, after they uh, come up with this All Saints Day or All Hallows Day, two centuries passed, and they still had not succeeded in, get, succeeded in getting rid of Samhain, October 31st, the celebration uh, that the Celts uh, indulged in. So then, Pope Gregory III changed um, the rules, so to speak, and ensured that All Saints Day, this day when the church, the people were supposed to honor the hallowed dead, uh, he ensured that All Saints Day always fell on the same day as Samhain, as this, uh, this beginning of the, the entrance into the time of the dead, into the realm of death. So, 
he all, he just he made sure that All Saints Day, All Hallows Day, came on the same day as this Samhain, this beginning of the the time of death. Now, in in celebration of All Saints Day, what what would happen was, is that young men would go to door, begging for food for the town poor, and uh, so, you know, these these people would you know go around. Knocking on doors and say, "Hey, can we can we get something from you? You know, can we get some food? This is in you know to help the town poor." Uh, in addition to what was going on to, on this, there was another um, day added on November second by the church called All Souls Day, and this became official during the tenth century. And this was the day to commemorate all the dead, not just the uh, not just the saints. But all the dead. And so special prayers and masses were offered for souls that were in purgatory. And as I said, this was celebrated on November 2nd, which is the day following All Saints Day. So what you would, uh, what you would have going on during this time, sponsored by the church, is that you'd have people going from door to door asking for gifts for, you know, food gifts and, and et cetera. You'd also have villagers who were allowed to dress up in costume to represent a saint. Um, you know, you weren't, you know, you weren't dressing up to chase away evil spirits, but you were dressing up to honor the saints who were dead. And so you would see villagers who were dressed in, you know, you'd see skulls and skeletons and, and things like this. And this was something that was sponsored by the church. So what happened was over the centuries, Samhain, which we've already talked about what that was and how it originated. Samhain in All Saints Day or All Hallows Day, followed by All Souls Day, this all blurred into one holiday. And so by the 1500s, you couldn't separate the two anymore. So that's why I said earlier that Halloween is really a hybrid holiday. It's a combination of paganism and it's a combination of quote-unquote Christianity, but not the true biblical, pure form of our belief. Because, because the Bible, the Word of God, speaks out against these kinds of things. And so when we say this is a mixture of paganism and Christianity, we use the word Christianity very tongue-in-cheek because this was practices allowed and sponsored by the church, but not by Bible, not by the Scripture, not by the Word of God. Now, by this time, um, All Hallows Day, uh, you know, replaced the name of Samhain. And so the night before All Hallows Day was known as All Hallows Evening, or in the slang of villagers, it would be Hallow Evening. And in Ireland, it would be Halloween or Halloween. So the Halloween that we celebrate today includes all of these influence. It can, it concludes, uh, Pomona, Day, the, the Roman goddess of the trees and the harvest. Pomona's, Pomona days, apples and nuts and the harvest. Uh, it, it includes the festival of Samhain's trick-or-treating, or, you know, it wasn't known as trick-or-treating then, but that's what it, it you know, we know it as. Uh, magic, evil spirits, death. And, and it also includes the ghosts and the skeletons and the skulls of All Saints Day and All Souls Day. So, what we have today is a combination of all of these things. You can't say that it's uh, that it all originated with pagan societies. Uh, we can't say that it all originated with one 
one group of people. We can't say it all originated with the church. It is a it is a amalgamation of all of these different things. But all of them in defiance of Scripture. All of them going against what the Scripture teaches. Now, I want to bring out a, another point here is how is it that all these different societies focused on this one day, this one particular time, independent of one another? You know, kind of makes you think, doesn't it? Now, that's how, um, that's the origins in a very, very brief uh, form. That's the origins of what we now call Halloween. You know, that's how it really got started. And you see how these two, uh, two different uh celebrations, one coming from paganism, one coming from the church, how it was just fused into one celebration. Now, let's talk about Halloween in America. First of all, in the New World, uh, initially, the early settlers were predominantly Protestant, and Halloween was considered a Catholic holiday. Now, I should point out here that the, the original colonists in the Plymouth Plantation, uh, the Massachusetts Bay Colony, you know, the people that we refer to as pilgrims and Puritans, uh, these people found most celebrations immoral. You know, Christmas in Massachusetts in the 17th century was illegal. In fact, it was punishable by banishment and in some cases maybe even by death. They were very, very... Uh, very, very suspicious of these types of celebrations because of their pagan associations. Now, as these uh, settlers began to spread out in the New World, they started farms. You know, early America was an agrarian society. Uh, and because these farms were, uh, you know, spaced out and perhaps miles away from any other inhabitants, it would have been difficult to share these different celebrations that would come over from Europe because you were so isolated. You know, in, in early colonial America, what uh, the social events were barn raisings, uh, quilting bees, you know, taffy pulls. These were the normal, normal social activities. But eventually we, we see that a, a fall holiday did evolve and uh, in during this fall holiday, autumn play parties would be uh, organized. <clears throat> and what these were, people would get together, they would gather together, and they would tell ghost stories, and they would dance, and they would sing, and they would have feasts, and they would light bonfires. Um, these, these autumn play parties, you know, begin to grow. Children would stage, you know, pageants at school, and they would parade around in costumes during these these autumn play parties. Um, and these parties lasted until the Industrial Revolution. Because, see, by then, uh, the majority of Americans were living in cities, and they, they didn't have need or as much need for, for get-togethers like this, you know. Now, by the end of the Civil War in the mid 19th century, only Episcopalians and Catholics, which at that time represented less than 5% of the U.S. population, only these people celebrated All Saints Day and what you and I know as Halloween. But concerned about letting uh, a part of their heritage fade away, these two groups began uh, an aggressive ad campaign to put these two holidays, All Saints Day and Halloween, 
on all public calendars. And so they, they succeeded in this. And the first year that All Saints Day and Halloween showed up on the different calendars, the media, you know, really focused on this. They really emphasized it and brought it, you know, to light so that people would know about these two holidays. And suddenly, Everyone knew about Halloween, and they began celebrating it by lighting bonfires, and they would have masquerade parties. And this is how really, uh, really how Halloween caught on in America. Of course, you know, America has always been a melting pot. It's, it's, it's a melting pot of peoples, traditions, and religions. And, you know, Halloween is just one of many of the byproducts of this melting pot because you had all these different belief systems coming into the new world. And, uh, you know, in time, you know, as we just said, you know, when these things showed up on the calendar in the mid-19th century, then, you know, all of a sudden everybody knew about it. People who had perhaps never heard of All Saints Day, never heard of Halloween, all of a sudden everybody knows about it. Now, in America, this, um, this catching on of Halloween worked in conjunction with um, the Irish immigration uh, that took place in the late 1800s. Now, during that time, there was nearly 7.4 million immigrants who came to America uh, from Europe, bringing, you know, bringing their different customs with them. During this time of this mass immigration, over 700,000 Irish Catholics came over during uh, the seven-year potato famine alone. Just during that seven years, over 700,000, almost three-quarters of a million Irish Catholics immigrated during the seven-year potato famine. Of course, the potato famine took place in uh, Ireland. Now, as they are leaving Ireland and coming to the New World, what are they doing? They're bringing their traditions, you know, their way of life, their society, they're bringing it with them. And so, instead of uh, hollowing out potatoes and hollowing out turnips, you know, uh, they're, they're, they found that uh, when they got to the New World, that you know, there were pumpkins. These gourds were much more plentiful than turnips or potatoes, and so they would be a lot easier to hollow out than, than these turnips. And of course, they brought their traditions of, you know, dressing up in costumes during this time, of trick or treating during this time. And guess what? When people heard about this, uh, this celebration, here are some of the traditions that go along with it. So how did we, you know, we start doing pumpkins? Well, started with that, you know, the Irish bringing their tradition uh, during this time of year of hollowing out turnips or potatoes and putting a light in it. Uh, they found pumpkins a lot easier to work with. We'll talk about that in a little more detail in just a moment here. But anyway, uh, in 19th century America, these these rural immigrants from Ireland, from Scotland, they kept uh, gender-specific Halloween customs from their homelands. In other words, you know, they separated the girls from the boys. The girls would stay indoors during this, this festival, during this celebration. The girls would stay indoors, and they would do divination games, you know, that had to do with who their future spouse was going to be. And they would, you know, divine these things. And again, Scripture forbids this practice. But this is what they would do. The boys... In their games, they would, they roamed around outdoors and, you know, they would engage in, in these different pranks, you know, these, this, uh, this mischief, you know, probably nothing serious, but just considered to be fun. Now their elders, their parents, uh, as these games were being played outside and all this mischief occurred, 
their elders would blame this mischief on the spirits that were being uh that were abroad that night that were going around remember because the the beliefs from the Celtic society was on this night these evil spirits these and even these good spirits would congregate on that night because the veil between the human and spiritual world was very thin and these two worlds would merge on that particular night and so they brought these spooky traditions if you will with them and so that um uh, these games, these practices already being uh, propagated by the Irish in their own, you know, their own society. When other Americans found out about uh, Halloween, then they certainly, you know, they just looked to the source of, of, of where these games and traditions come from, saw what they were doing, and began to uh, incorporate these traditions into their observance of Halloween. Now, in 1921, a small Minnesota town uh, celebrated the first official citywide uh, observation of Halloween. But, you know, after that, it didn't take long. Halloween went nationwide. New York started celebrating Halloween in 1923 and Los Angeles in 1925. But now, you know, instead of hollowed-out turnips um, for lights, the turnips had become jack-o'-lanterns. Begging door-to-door for food donations for the poor became trick-or-treating. Um you know, uh, the stories of ghosts, uh, you know, that are associated with the Halloween, they, it's believed they first began in Ireland. Because in Ireland it was said that if someone had died the previous year, you know, of course, again, you know, Samhain is marking, uh, uh, the leaving summer, moving into the season of, of, of winter or death. But anyway, it was believed that in Ireland that if, if, uh, you know, you were holding a grudge against per- some some person who had died the previous year, that and you were you know you didn't let go of that that he or she would appear to you on the evening before All Saints Day and haunt you, and so it's believed that this is how ghosts, uh, these ghost stories, you know, were associated with Halloween or October thirty one. So you know, here are just a few, just a very few, of the. Uh, the traditions, uh, the themes associated with Halloween, this is how they evolved. And of course, you know, there's no way that we could go into every detail, but you get the gist of how this happened. Um, but yet most Americans have little, if any, sense of the hidden meanings and the motives of the event in which they uh, so enthusiastically participate in. They still see it as something very innocent, uh, nothing wrong with it. But I want to point out again, it's, it's really not up to us to decide what is good and what is bad, what is what is righteous, what is evil. The Bible defines what is acceptable and what is not acceptable, and we must let the Bible be the final word. If we are believers, we have to do this. Now, the world is not going to accept that. But you and I, if we are believers, then we must accept that God's word is the final answer. And so it's not really up to us. It's not really up to what we believe, what we think, not how we could justify things. It is what does the Bible say? And if the Bible forbids practices that are so closely associated with Halloween, uh, born of paganism, born of uh, disregard for the word of God, then how can we then justify these things today, even when they're done ignorantly and innocently? Because it's one thing for somebody to do these things and not know anything about where they come from. You know, when I was a child, 
I was raised in church. I was raised in a Pentecostal church. We went trick-or-treating. You know, but nobody taught about where this come from back in those days. Uh, but now, you know, people are beginning to understand these things and know about these things. And with that knowledge comes responsibility to make a choice. And that's why we are just presenting fact to you and leaving it to you to decide uh, where you stand on the issue. Uh, we're not, you know, again, not trying to brand something satanic. We're just pointing out the facts and, and, and then showing you what Scripture says and then letting you make the decision. So as we continue our study on trick-or-treat, um, we, we've talked about the, the purpose of our teaching. Um, we've talked about the, um, the simple origins of Halloween. We, we've discussed how it is neither uh, 100% pagan nor is it 100% you know, Christian. Um, it is a fusion of different beliefs. It is a fusion of different um, practices and traditions. But all of these practices and all of these traditions um, are rooted in... Um, Things that the Bible condemns, that the Bible uh, forbids and prohibits, and therefore is in rebellion to the Word of God. Now, what we want to do now is discuss in a bit more detail some of the different customs associated with Halloween. Um, and we want to begin with the, since it's our title, Trick or Treat, we want to deal with the custom of trick or treating. And of course, this is by no means exhaustive. It is basically a summary, but it is a bit more detailed than what we've alluded to here in the first, uh, on for tape one. But anyway, you know, trick or treating is probably the main reason that children want to go celebrate Halloween. It is probably the main Halloween activity for most children, uh, in the United States. But the this trick-or-treating, as we've already alluded to and already mentioned earlier, it probably came from activities that originated on this pagan holiday called Samhain on October 31st and November 1. <clears throat> it also may have association with a 9th century European custom called souling. Uh, as we said, November 2nd is All Souls Day. This is a day where we, uh, where they, I should say, uh, honor, if not venerate, uh, the souls, uh, the, all the dead souls. And so on this day in Europe, in centuries past, early Christians would walk from village to village and they would beg for soul cakes, soul cakes. And these uh, were... These cakes were square pieces of bread with currants. And so anyway, these people would go begging for these soul cakes. And the more soul cakes the beggars would receive, the more prayers they would promise to say on behalf of the dead relatives of the donors. And so <clears throat> what this had to do with is, okay, give me a soul cake and I promise to pray for you know the, the dead loved one of this house, the one that you're giving this soul cake for. And so <clears throat> whether it came from, you know, uh, the night of chaos in Celtic society when, you know, these uh, fairies were going around playing pranks, which were probably really people, um, or whether it came from this, uh, you know, this souling, as it was called, begging for these soul cakes, <clears throat> its origins are still um, tied to 
uh, you know, the dead, you know, the belief that the dead uh, still roam the earth, the belief that you can pray the dead soul out of purgatory, you know, or, or something like this. And which, as we know, is in is in defiance of what the word of God has to say. So, you know, in, in the Catholic Church at that time, it was believed that the dead remained in limbo for a time after death and that prayer, even when it was offered by strangers, could expedite a soul's passage to heaven. They call it purgatory. Of course, you know, the Catholic Church believes in this and they have a doctrine of purgatory, which is, you know, it's not scriptural. But it, it, it you know, it was tied to the idea that somebody could get somebody to heaven you know, if if you pay enough, basically, you know, if you got enough money or if you got in this case, if you have enough soul cakes, then, you know, we can pray your loved one into heaven. But what does the Bible say? What does you know, what does the Bible say the way we get to heaven? John chapter 14, verse six, Yeshua said unto him, I am the way, the truth and the life. No man comes into the Father but by me. There is only one way that you can go into the presence of God, and that is his way. You can't go your way. We can't go my way. We have to go his way. And so there's, you know, what is false religion? False religion is practices that the adherents believe that they can go into heaven or a higher state of consciousness or whatever you want to call it, they can do it their way. There's an alternative way. And they disavow and they fail to recognize the true creator, the God of all that there of all there is. And they say, we're going to do things this way and it's going to work. And that is the really the basis of false religion. It is it is failure to acknowledge that there is a God in heaven. He is the only God. And he says, if you want to come to me, you must do it this way. There is no other way. And so this false religion is man's attempt to assert the authority and the sovereignty of God. And so trick-or-treating, say what you will about the the innocence in which children go out to go trick-or-treating. And I, I understand that. Children don't know any better. Children don't know. All they know is there's candy available. But uh, the fact remains that on this particular evening, this particular time of year, in this particular tradition, it is born out of uh, false religion. It is born out of a failure to acknowledge God's sovereignty. That period. And that is the the root of this custom that we call trick-or-treating. Now, Let's talk about jack-o'-lanterns, because jack-o'-lanterns are very, very uh, prominent fixture in Halloween. You know, I look around my neighborhood. There are jack-o'-lanterns everywhere at this, you know, at this time of year. Now, <clears throat> this practice, it is believed anyway, uh, originated with Irish children who used to carve out potatoes or turnips, and they would like them for their Halloween gatherings. And according to legend, and I want to underscore that word, legend, uh, this carving out the potatoes or turnips and, and lighting them uh, is said to commemorate Jack, who was a uh, supposed shifty Irish villain so wicked that neither God nor the devil wanted him. And there's, you know, varying versions of this story, but basically uh, the prevailing tale is that this guy was so shifty, so notorious, he was a drunkard, he was a trickster, 
And in fact, that he tricked Satan into climbing a tree one day. And then when Satan had climbed the tree, Jack carved an image of the cross in the tree's trunk, trapping the devil up the tree. And so Jack made a, de- a deal with the devil that, you know, if he would never tempt him again, if he wouldn't come for his soul, that he would promise to let him down out of the tree. So <clears throat> according to this legend, when Jack died, because he was a shifty, villainous type, he was denied entrance into heaven. But because... Uh, because he had tricked the devil, the devil didn't want him in hell either, so he didn't let him come into hell. But instead, he gave him a, sing- a, a single ember, a coal from, the, the, from the, the fires of hell, and this ember was placed in a hollowed-out turnip. And this is what the devil gave Jack, and the, the coal from hell was to light his way. And so he was condemned to roam the earth until Judgment Day. And so the Irish use turnips, or in some cases potatoes, as their Jack's lanterns. Uh, Jack was called Jack of the Lantern, but then it was shortened to Jack-o'-lantern. And so that is how this idea of Jack-o'-lanterns came about. And so when during the potato famine that we talked about earlier provoked all these these scores of Irish to uproot from their ancestral home and to migrate to the United States. They came to America and they found that pumpkins, you know, were far more plentiful than turnips or potatoes and easier to carve. And so the jack-o'-lantern in America was a hollowed out pumpkin lit with an ember. Um, or, you know, in our day and age, you know, plastic candles or what have you. But anyway, this is the story behind the jack-o'-lantern. And so what is it about? It's about it's about a man who died and roams the earth. It's about a ghost. It's about a, a man who is wicked, a man who is a trickster. And uh, there's no, um, uh, you know, there's nothing valuable, you know, in, in, in spiritual terms to be found in this story or with the tradition. Now, again, to some they say, oh, you know, that's just a legend and blah, 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 blah. It's, it didn't really happen. Well, true, it didn't really happen. There wasn't a man who was denied access to hell or to heaven who roams the earth today. Um, but it's, but it is associated with the idea that was certainly, um, uh, very prominent in this this society that you know there are dead spirits that roam the earth, you know, and in when we make a jack o' lantern, we are in a small way commemorating that, or we're acknowledging that, or we're getting in touch with that. And uh, I personally am of the opinion that that's wrong. You know, that's not something that a believer, you know, that's not the kind of a thing that uh, the believer should hold up as acceptable behavior. Okay, so that brings us to uh, Halloween masks, you know, and of course, you know, Halloween masks in in this day and in, even when I was growing up, you know, a Halloween mask may be a demon, it may be a monster or villain, uh, but it could also be a hero, you know, it could be a cartoon character. You know, sometimes, uh, sometimes when I was a kid, we wouldn't even put masks on, uh, we'd just get this, uh, this face paint, we'd become vampires or goblins or the Hulk or whatever, and uh, we didn't even go around trick-or-treating, we just went around tricking. You know, we just wanted to knock over somebody's garbage cans, uh, you know, get the old paper bag full of manure, set it on fire, put it on somebody's porch. You know, that's that's what we were interested in. We weren't even interested in the candy. But anyway, I'm getting off subject. Um, point is, is that, you know, people would ask the question, okay, somebody dresses up as a, a fairy or um, a cartoon character or a hero. What's so evil about that? Well, 
I guess on the surface it wouldn't seem there's anything wrong with that. But we have to understand that from, you know, from the earliest of times, people would wear masks when droughts or other disasters struck. Because, see, they believed that the demons who had brought their misfortune upon them would become frightened off by the, the hideous mass. So, when the festival of Samhain had merged with Halloween, which was All Hallows' Evening, the day before All Hallows' Day, um, Europeans would feel uneasy <clears throat> excuse me, at this time of year. Because they were superstitious, you know, they were, uh, they were going into the winter season. They were going into the season of death. And so food was stored in preparation for the winter, you know, because the house was to be snug and warm, but the ghosts were outside. And so people who went out after dark would wear masks to keep from being recognized because they didn't want the evil spirits to recognize them. Now, what does all this say? It, it says to me, number one, <clears throat> That it, when they would wear these masks, when natural disasters would strike, they were giving power, if you will, place to the devil because they were they were saying that it's the devil who's doing this. And in my opinion, that is denying the sovereign of the universe is God. God is the one who has power over all these things. Yes, Satan has been given given limited authority. He's been given limited power but as believers we have power over the devil if we walk in truth and in righteousness we have power over the enemy and so in my opinion this practice was uh, once again failing to acknowledge who is God and who's not God and also it is giving place to the devil and you know in, in Ephesians 4:27 it says don't give place to the devil. Don't give the devil uh, wiggle room. Don't give him any opportunity to operate in your life, either through you know the threat of disaster or fear or what have you. For God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. We have power over the enemy. We have we can have a sound mind. We don't have to live in fear of these things coming upon us because God has not given us that. And so, this is the idea of wearing masks all based on fear. Fear. Not out of fear and respect of God, all of God, but fear of evil, fear of the devil, fear of demonic activity. And so they would wear these masks in, in a feeble attempt to ward off this, this, this supposed demonic activity, uh, in their lives. Now in Matthew 10 28, I want to read another scripture that says, Fear not them which kill the body but are not able to kill the soul, but rather fear him which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. In other words, don't fear anybody who has no control over where you spend eternity, but you rather fear him who has that authority, who has that power. And there's only one who has that power and authority, and that is the God of the Bible, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of Israel. And we are to fear, respect him, uh, acknowledge his sovereignty. And yes, things sometimes bad things are going to happen, uh, <clears throat> but we have the promise if we are walking in faith and walking in accordance to his will, we don't have to live in constant fear of these things. And we certainly don't have to adopt practices that um, fail to acknowledge his sovereignty. And so Halloween masks, say what you want. 
it is it is tied to ancient uh, ideas that fail to acknowledge God's sovereignty. Now, another uh, prominent component of Halloween is witches. And we talked about this a little bit. In fact, I, I would say that witches are a very central symbol of Halloween. Now, the word witch comes from a Saxon word, Wicca, and that means a wise one. Now, Wicca, which is a fertility religion, Wicca is, is when you say witchcraft, you're really talking about the Wiccan religion. It is a fertility religion. It is recognized by the United States government as an official religion. And it is basically a religion that worships nature. Just like the Celts and the Druids, it worships nature. It has many gods, not just one. It has many gods. And most of these gods are gods dealing with natural things, temporal things. Uh, fertility... Um, it is to do with reproduction, um, you know, things that need to reproduce, nature needs to grow, you know, whether that's plant life or animals or, you know, humans, what have you, uh, that is what this religion is based on. Now, it, it is believed that, uh, at least in ancient times, when people who practiced this religion, when they would set out for their Sabbath, their, their, you know, their holy day, that the witches would rub a sacred ointment onto their skin. And it was some kind of, um, you know, um, drug. But anyway, this, this, this ointment would give them this sensation of flying, of floating, of, you know, being light. And, uh, and it, it felt like that, you know, that they were flying. And if they had been fasting, which is something you do in the Wiccan religion as well, uh, you know, it would make it even, make them even giddier, you know, they weren't, they weren't, they would not be in their right minds in, in, if I can put it that way. Now, in, in ancient times, times past, some witches would ride on horseback. But if they were poor witches, they didn't have a horse, they had to go on foot. And they would carry a broom or a pole in aid to aid them in vaulting over streams, you know, or getting through uh, terrain that was hard to walk in. Now, in England, when new witches were initiated, they were blindfolded oftentimes. And then they were smeared with this flying ointment, you know, this sacred ointment, and, and you know, and a broomstick would be involved. And the ointment would confuse the mind and, and speed up the pulse and, you know, reportedly, anyway, it would numb their feet. And they would be told, you know, you're flying over land and sea. And then the witch would just take their word for it. So really this idea of witches flying on broomsticks is, you know, it, it's myth. It's myth, but it's associated with, Let's call it what it is, drug use. Drug use, and there's also another uh, explanation, perhaps, uh, you know, that is unique to, to the other one, or maybe it worked in conjunction with the other one, as far as how we got the, the idea that, that witches fly on broomsticks. But it, uh, the use of broomsticks comes from an old crop fertility rite. And what would happen, these witches would gather together at their fields, and they would have their brooms, and they would have their pitchforks, and they would jump over the brooms, and when they would jump over these brooms, it was a gesture of showing how high the crops were going to grow that year. So, in other words, the higher they would jump, the higher they believed their crops would grow, and they would do this with their brooms. And so, 
uh, you know, I guess, presumably somebody saw this, this going on, saw these witches and their cubbins meeting and, you know, jumping over broomsticks and, uh, Probably heard about some, you know, witch who'd been rubbed with this sacred ointment and had this sensation of flying. And so imaginations and suspicions and superstitions being what they were in ancient days and middle ages, you know, somebody just took off with this and the legend of the, you know, the witch flying on her broomstick got started. But, but what I wanted to point out was, although obviously witches don't fly around on brooms, witchcraft does involve uh, these brooms and fertility rites in pagan practices. Uh, pharmakia is involved here, or at least it used to be, uh, in, in the, these pagan practices, mind-altering substances. And uh, once again, we, we don't have to look very far to see that this is something that is, would be uh, prohibited by Scripture and by the Word of God, and thus a believer should not emulate. A believer should not sanction. A believer should not try to justify uh, this association with witches and the, the emblems of Halloween. Now, um, witches gather, and I say gather because there are witches today. And by the way, um, as I understand it, there are there are not warlocks in Wic- the Wiccan religion. There's strictly witches. You have male witches. You have female witches. But anyway, witches gather. Uh, several times a year when the seasons change. Uh, primary dates for this are April 30th, which is the eve of May Day, or Beltane, which we mentioned before, and on October 31st, All Hallows' Eve, or what you and I call uh, Halloween, what they call today in the Wiccan religion, Samhain. Samhain. They also meet on Yule, Y-U-L-E, which is December 21. Hello. They they meet on Imbolc, I'm sure I'm not saying that correctly, which is February 2nd. Ostara, O-S-T-A-R-A, March 20th, Ostara. That's very interesting. We're going to be coming out with some series in the future that are going to deal with Yule and with Ostara that I think you'll be interested in. They meet on the summer solstice, which is June 21st, on Lamas, or Lamas which is August 1, and then on Mabon, which is September 22nd. Witches worship the God, not a, you know, they don't, they don't call him, they don't call, um, they don't believe in one God. They believe in multiple gods, but they believe in the God and the goddess of each God. In other words, male and female, Mother Earth, you know, and all of nature. Uh, so there are many gods in the Wiccan religion. Uh, the Wiccan creed states that, and I quote, and it harm none, do what you will. In other words, if, as long as it doesn't hurt anybody else, do whatever you want to. Now, I, I read one um, uh, paper by a witch who basically said that in this creed, if it harm none, do what you will, that that was the s- summary of what Moses gave Israel on the mountain. And he was referring to the Ten Commandments. He believed that what Moses gave the children of Israel and thus the world at Mount Sinai is summed up in this creed. Now, that's an absolutely, uh, I don't see how he arrives at that conclusion. I'll, I'll be polite. Because God doesn't say, Scripture does not say, if it doesn't hurt anybody, then just do whatever you want to. No. Scripture doesn't say that. Scripture outlines how 
people should live. And there are many things that God says you should do this. And then there are many things that God says don't do this. Don't go there. Why? Because though our uh, uh, ideas and our conceptions and our beliefs and, and our perspective would say, well, you know, it's not going to hurt anything. It's not going to hurt anybody. There's some things we just don't know. And so God has given us words. God has given us sacred writings to direct our lives, to set parameters on our lives. See, the Wiccan Creed is basically saying, if you'll allow me to put it this way, in your mind, if you're not going to hurt anybody, just you do whatever feels good. Do whatever seems right to you. And God doesn't say do whatever seems right to you. Do what is right according to what I have said. And so Wiccan, Wicca, witchcraft, is basically a religion of rebellion to the Word of God. Now, um, Wicca would have us believe that there is there's really nothing um, evil, wicked, satanic, and perhaps by the world's definition of wicked, satanic, demonic, perhaps it's not. But, you know, Satan means the adversary. You know, the adversary is one who opposes you, the one who is trying to uh, impede your way, who's trying to keep you from um, getting where you're going, meeting your goals. And thus, anything that opposes the Word of God becomes the adversary and by technical definition is satanic. Now, they would have us believe that, you know, that it's very innocent and, and you know, that, um, you know, it's, it's, it's nothing, nothing evil about it. But any religion, whether the United States government recognizes it or not, any religion that says uh, there's not just one God, there are many gods, is once again, basically, dis, you know, disavowing, failing to acknowledge that there is a God in heaven who made heaven and earth. And he says, you're not to have any other gods before me. And this religion says that, you know what? We're blowing that off. You know, there are, there are more than one God. There's many gods and we're going to worship nature. We're going to, we're not going to worship the one who made nature. We're going to, we're going to worship nature. We're going to worship the creation. And, and so by definition, it becomes satanic. It becomes evil. It becomes wicked because it is a, it is a, um, belligerent, it is a determined attempt to resist God's will, God's purposes. Now, in uh, in England, police still find arrangement. Well, not just England, uh, throughout the world. I remember when I lived in Florida, in Pasco County, Florida, there was a big deal about some Wiccans who were uh, meeting and going through different uh, rites of this religion. You know, um, and they gained a lot of attention, of course, and it was about, you know, animal sacrifice, et cetera, et cetera. And of course, they were denying this. And I'm not saying that those particular people do it. And I'm sure there's probably a lot of people in the Wiccan religion who would never do that. But uh, in England, police still find arrangements of animal bones, you know, fire ashes in the woods. And, and you know, sometimes and even in churchyards every November 1st morning. And it is, it's been reported that on October 31st, the lights from those fires can be seen if you stand on the edge of the forest in which they go into to practice these rites. So, what am I saying? 
you know, Halloween, October 31st, is a very real pagan festival to some people. Now, the majority of people in America are not going to send their kids out to in, to actively participate in a pagan ritual, at least not um, not consciously. But without knowing, ignorantly, you know, that is exactly what we're having our kids do. We're having them participate in, perhaps on the fringes, but nevertheless participating in something that is very pagan, something that is still regarded as sacred by people who defy the word of God to this day. Now, what does the Bible have to say about witches and about witchcraft? Well, it's very strong words here. Exodus 22, verse 18, you shall not allow a witch to live. Uh, I won't even try to uh, interpret that for you. You make of that what you will. Deuteronomy 18.10, There shall not be found any among you that makes his son or daughter to pass through the fire, or that uses divination, or an observer of times, or an enchanter, or a witch. 1 Samuel 15.23, For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected you. Second Chronicles 33, 6. And he caused his children to pass through the fire in the valley of the son of Hinnom. Also, he observed times, used enchantments, used witchcraft, and dealt with a familiar spirit. And with wizards, he wrought much evil in the sight of the Lord to provoke him to anger. Finally, in Galatians 5, 19 through 20. Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies. So we see that the Bible is some very, very strong words for witchcraft. One other custom that we want to um, briefly discuss uh, that is associated with Halloween, and of course there's many, many customs, and we just, you know... Um, could go into to, to perhaps hours on this subject. But one other custom we're going to deal with is this little fun little game of bobbing for apples. You know, I'm sure everybody who's listening to this, you know, has done it. I've done it as a child. But, you know, where did we get such a tradition? Such a tradition? We've already kind of alluded to it earlier, but we didn't go into it. And, and it goes something like this. When the Celts were absorbed by the Roman Empire, you know, um, many of the uh, many rituals of Roman origin began to be fused with this celebration of Samhain, and you recall that among them was the worship of Pomona, who was the god goddess of the the fruit trees, goddess of the harvest. She was often portrayed as sitting on a basket of fruits and flowers. Now, her symbol was the apple. And apples were considered to be the sacred fruit of this goddess. And many games of divination involving apples entered the Samhain customs. I want to read you what Encyclopedia Encarta has to say. After the Romans conquered Britain, they added to Halloween features of the Roman harvest festival held on November 1 in honor of Pomona, goddess of the fruit of trees. Traces of the Roman Harvest Festival survive in the custom, prevalent in both the United States and Great Britain, of playing games involving fruit, such as ducking for apples in a tub of water. End quote. So, not Bill Cloud, but Encyclopedia and Carter says that the Halloween tradition of bobbing for apples is directly related to a pagan festival that honored the goddess of the fruit of trees, that is Pomona, and that this was fused with the, the Celtic customs, and, and it was handed down to us. So, 
So why do I bring that out? Going up to a bucket, you know, with apples floating in it, and then trying to grab those in your teeth seems very harmless. It doesn't seem like a big deal. And if you do it in ignorance, perhaps it's not a big deal. But when you know where it come from, you know, it, it creates a problem for you. It cre- or maybe it's a problem for some, not such a, a problem for others. But it, it it certainly shows us how, if nothing else, how subtle the enemy is. How subtle. He uses things that are, are seemingly harmless. There's, n- you know, there's nothing wrong with it. There's nothing inherently evil about it. But we need to keep in mind: how does God see this? When when God sees it, does does He see it as well? You know, someone's doing something very innocent, or is He reminded of of past celebrations of past peoples who have indulged in this in defiance of who He is? You know, failing to recognize who He is and adopting practices that worship other gods. So, again, it's not about what we think. It's about what does God say? You know, you will have no other gods for me. You know, in Acts chapter 15, um, when, you know, it come to the attention of the, the elders in Jerusalem, the elders of the church, that there were Gentiles, pagans, coming into the belief of Yeshua the Messiah. And there was this, you know, a big debate about they should be circumcised or they should not be circumcised. And finally, James stands up and says, look, um, we're not going to harass these Gentiles. Uh, but here's what we're going to do. We're going to tell them that they're not to, uh, they're to abstain from blood. They're to abstain from fornication. And they're not to eat anything that's been offered unto idols or strangled. Now, that, he said, was the, I mean, that's the bare minimum that they've got to know. Now, uh, without getting off her subject, he goes on to say, because Moses or Torah is taught in all these places where they're coming into belief every Sabbath day. So the implication is, we're going to give them a few basic things initially, but we're going to be teaching them about the other things every Sabbath day. If they come to synagogue, they're going to hear what Moses had to say about how we should live. So I don't want you to get the idea that Gentiles only had to be concerned with these three things, because that's just not so. But that was the absolute foundation as far as the do's and don'ts, you know, after they come into belief of Messiah. And one of those is you're not to... uh you're not to partake of anything, any meat that's been offered to idols. Now, the Torah was very, very specific about um, uh, how things should be sacrificed, and you know these, uh, and it had to do with the altar. If you didn't set up the altar exactly the way God said, He considered it to be as just as if you were offering it unto idols, just as, as if you were offering these sacrifices unto false gods. And in the New Testament, we see that the you know James and the, the elders there in Jerusalem. We're telling, you know, the Gentiles who were coming into the belief of Yeshua, don't eat anything offered to idols. If anything has been sanctified and set apart to an idol, don't partake of it. Don't have anything to do with it. It's abominable. God doesn't like it. God is not going to associate with it. God's not going to accept it. I bring that point out for this reason. As harmless as bobbing for apples may seem, it's not about how I see it. It's how does God see it? And if he would not, if, if he did not want the early Gentile believers to partake of things that were offered unto idols, perhaps even without their knowledge, 
He certainly, I don't believe anyway, does not want us to engage in customs, innocent though they may seem, he does not want us to engage in customs that have a direct attachment and an association with things offered to false gods and to idols. And I don't believe that you can look at it any other way because we have credible evidence that this little tradition is tied to celebrating a false god or a goddess in this case. Well, as I said, there are many, many other traditions and customs associated with Halloween, but we're just, we're kind of hitting the highlights here. And I believe giving you enough information for you to make a, an, an intelligent decision about where you stand with this, this holiday called Halloween. And, um, in, in, if you're like me, having information to explain to your children why we don't do Halloween, guys, here's why. It's not just because mom or dad doesn't want you to have fun, but there is very serious and spiritual reasons why we don't participate in this holiday and lay it out for them. Now, quickly, I want to talk about some other associated holidays, not necessarily Halloween, but things that are going on at the same time of year, but have the same themes as Halloween. And we're going to talk about two very quickly. One is called the Mexican Days of the Dead. It's celebrated in Mexico. In fact, it's probably one of the most popular holidays in Mexico. And it's called Los Dios de los Muertos. I hope I said that correct for those who speak Spanish. But it's the Days of the Dead. It was believed, it is believed, that returning monarch butterflies are welcomed back because the locals believe that these butterflies bear the spirits of their departed loved ones. So here we go. It's dealing with the spirits of dead people, you know, roaming spirits. And this Days of the Dead is celebrated every year at the same time as Halloween, All Saints Day and All Souls Day. It's celebrated November 1st and November 2nd. Samhain. The Festival of Pomona. All these different things. All occurring at the same time, all having the same themes. Now, in these Days of the Dead, townspeople will dress up as, you know, ghouls and ghosts and mummies and skeletons, and they will parade through the town carrying an open coffin. Now, the corpse, quote unquote, within the uh, coffin, he, he's, you know, he's smiling as he's carried through the, the, the streets in town. And as he's carried through the streets, local vendors will toss flowers or fruits or candies inside as the procession makes its way past their stores and past their markets. Now, during these two days of the dead, you'll look around, you'll see skeletons and skulls. They're everywhere. Chocolate skulls, white chocolate skeletons, etc. A lot of families during these two days will construct an altar to the dead in their homes to honor deceased relatives and to decorate it with candy, with flowers, photographs, um, samples of that deceased's favorite foods. They'll put drinks out there, fresh water. Um, many times they'll put a wash basin and a towel out so that the spirit can wash himself before he indulges in the feast that they have left out for him. Now, we've, 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 we've mentioned something about, uh, this same kind of belief earlier, and it was about the Celts who left out these offerings of food from the dead, for the dead on, uh, on October 31. And so this is the same thing going on here. Now, also, during this time, candles and incense are burned to do what? To help the deceased find their way home. To help them 
uh, find their way. Now, <clears throat> this celebration of Los Dios de los Muertos, like the customs of Halloween, evolved, listen to this, evolved with the influences of the Celts as Roman influence and the Christian holidays of All Saints Day and All Souls Day. They they took customs with these three holidays, and then, here's what they did, they added influences from the Aztec people of Mexico, because the Aztecs believed in an afterlife where the spirits of their dead would return as hummingbirds and butterflies. In fact, you can go to Aztec mon- monuments to this day, and in these uh, monuments you'll find images carved and what these images show is that the linking the spirits of the dead with the monarch butterfly. But what I want you to see is that once again, this time of year, uh, there is a society that celebrates the dead, venerates the dead, and 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 really indulges and feasts uh, in with the veneration of the dead being the backdrop of this feasting of this celebration. Now, there's one other celebration or festival we want to discuss quickly, and that is called the Festival of the Dead, and this takes place in uh, Sicily, primarily. And uh, it is celebrated on November 2nd, and it is a festival day for the children of Palermo and in Sicily, and according to tradition, uh, these people were made to believe that their dead relatives would return the night before and that these dead relatives would rele- would leave them sweets and cakes on the table. So once again, we have a festival associated with the dead occurring at the same time of year. Now, my question is this. How is it that that all these different cultures, independent of one another, decided that this time of year, October 31, November 1, was the time to celebrate the dead? How did they come about this on their own? It seems to me that somehow, some way, that false religion, um, the spirit of false religion, if you will, if there is such a thing, um, ordained this, if I can use that word, and that these who are contact are, are attempting to contact spirits and indulge in things that the Bible uh, forbids. Uh, have picked up on it, if you will. Uh, I mean, I believe there's a supernatural world out there. You know, this it's not just the angelic host of God, but there are demonic, wicked, satanic forces out there who can, when people seek them out, perhaps, you know, unwittingly, but nevertheless, seeking out these these spirits, you know, they can connect. They can connect and they can pick up on these things. And from ancient times, October 31st, November 1st, this time of year, has been considered sacred by these pagan societies. How did they all independently arrive at this same conclusion? My point is, they didn't. They were influenced. And they were influenced by a, a satanic, demonic, wicked, evil pagan, whatever word you want to use, it was a, it was an entity, it was an influence that did not come from the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Now, I want to leave you with this thought as we conclude this teaching. Halloween, All Souls Day, All Saints Day, All Hallows Day, whatever you want to call it, this time of year, these celebrations, these, these traditions, they'll try to gloss it over, they'll try to put a pretty face on it, but it boils down to this. It is veneration of the dead. It is about evil. It is about uh, failing to acknowledge or uh, 
perhaps I should put it a little stronger, it is blatantly denying that God, the God of the Bible, is the sovereign of the universe and that man can make his own way. Man can determine how he is going to uh, walk through life. Um, man can affect what happens after we've departed this life and that we have control over it. We don't have to follow what God says. We don't have to follow his system, but we can do it our way. God is not the God of the dead, but of the living, according to Matthew chapter 22. He is the God of the living. God is not about death. God is about life. And if for no other reason, Christians, believers in Yeshua, in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and this is how Bill feels, and then this is you know how I believe, you're certainly welcome to come to your own conclusions, but I do not believe that we as believers in the God of life, should hallow and should sanctify a day and a time and a celebration that is dedicated to death. And with that thought, I'll leave you. God bless you. Built on solid rock. Yeshua. Yeshua. The rock of our salvation on Solace Radio.